was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the hometown through every zoo, Katie Blue. On the Saturday, her young boy. Well, hello out there again, town ball friends and fans. This is the Small Town Baseball Commute, and as always, I'm your host, Josh Item, coming to you from River Falls. So, hey, we're going to get uh, right into this episode with Jason Booth from Brookfield. Uh, I know a lot of you listening out there are just kind of catching up, so who knows when you'll listen to this, but we did record it uh, just a couple days before Christmas, the Christmas holiday. So, hope you guys all have had a great holiday season, having a great holiday season. Um, and then let's get right to it with Jason. You'll hear me at the start of the episode mention something a little bit about slowing down the podcast a little bit. We've been putting out two or three episodes a week. Uh, New Year's resolution is uh, to make sure this is fun and not work. I'm still having a lot of good time, good times with the conversations here. But it's kind of like uh, a town ball season. You know, sometimes if you schedule 60 games by about 55, it feels like eh, maybe we should have scheduled about 40. So, again, want to keep it fun, want to keep it not work, so we'll dial it back a little bit here in the new year. But, anyways, let's get to it here. Jason Booth from the Brookfield Bulldogs, another great small-town baseball conversation. Well, here we are once again on the small-town baseball commute. This is a little bit of the Christmas commute. I was out running some last-minute errands. I'm just on my way home, and I've got... uh, Jason Booth on the line from Brookfield. Jason, how you doing? Josh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Got all your got all your stuff prepped for this week. You guys do Christmas in your house? I guess I'm making some assumptions there. Um, yeah, we actually coming in right there. Sure. Yeah, we host here. My wife uh, loves having the family over here to our house, so the daughter's all taken care of. I have a seven year old uh, named Sienna. And uh, just have a little bit of shopping left to do for the wife. I'm always kind of last minute on that. Kind of have to pull the surprises out for her. Yeah. She's so you have a seven year old. That's your oldest. Yeah. Yep. Only child. Seven year old. Okay. Um, ph- phenomenal baseball slash softball player. Enjoy coaching her up. So yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, have a pretty good family here going. Did they? Did they start? Have they started talking Santa Claus at school? Because my nine year old, they started talking. We had some tough questions in my house this year. I'll tell you what, it's interesting you bring that up, Josh. Uh, we've been fortunate. Um, she's got uh, a cousin and a, a niece, or a, I'm sorry, she has two cousins who both are kind of getting to that point where they're starting to kind of find out a little bit more about it. And uh, mm-hmm. we do the Elf on the Shelf here in the house, which has been so much fun. So it's these magical years that we're just trying to hold on to because we realize that it's not going to last, you know, probably another more year or two. Um, so yeah, we we uh, we really enjoy that time of year. You know, her eyes lighten up and and whatnot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's part of the fun. We my kids were just complaining about us not having an elf on the shelf the other day. We haven't ever done the elf on the shelf thing. Uh, mostly, I've been afraid to try it because I'm just not organized. So I feel like I would just being the hot mess that I am, I would screw it up pretty early in the life of that elf and have a lot of fun to do. So I'll tell you what, it is a huge commitment. There's been nights, you know, where I've woken up panicked and realized, oh, my gosh, I forgot I forgot to move her. So I go scurrying down there, and there's been mornings where I've had to have my wife kind of deflect her attention, get back down there, and always kind of trying to come up with something unique, you know, because she loves it. So, Yeah. 
we should have, this is like NPR uh, or some podcast. Sometimes they give you a warning about, uh, you know, if you've got kids in the car, you might not want to listen to this one. So hopefully <laughs> people shut this off right away. We made the same, we had the same, uh, okay, I'll, one more quick story like that. And we'll get into the baseball, but we had a, we had a tooth fairy issue like a month ago where oh, I boy. definitely fell asleep. It was my job to put the, put the money out uh, underneath for the tooth fairy. And I forgot about it, and I did not remember until – I was up and out of the house, and I did not remember until about 9 o'clock. So I called my wife, um, who's working from home right now, and I said, oh, my God, how did it go about the tooth fairy this morning? Because I am a bad dad. And she goes, nope, <laughs> this, is, this is how awesome she is. She goes, nope. I woke up. I realized uh, Colin never came in and said anything about the tooth fairy, so I realized she probably forgot. So what she did is she waited until the kids are just about to get on the bus and then said, hey, Cullen, did you check under your pillow for the tooth fairy? And he panicked, and he goes, oh, no, I didn't. She goes, oh, I'll go check for you. Completely saved the day. Oh, you no lucked out there, Josh. Holy cow. Yeah, she saved my bacon big time. So the tooth fairy is still, still uh, alive and kicking in our house and we're with the sand and everything awesome. else. So. All right, so this is a this is a lone uh, episode of the week. We're going to take a little Christmas break. So for any um, you know hardcore listeners out there, uh, we uh, I'm slowing down a little bit. I have been doing two to three episodes a week, um, and I think I'm I'm going I'm going down to more like one or two because I'm just uh, it's a time thing. So no pressure, Jason, uh, but you have pressure of just being the one lone magical awesome guest this week. So let's start with talking about Brookfield how did you get started in amateur baseball with the with the Bulldogs right I think you told me a little bit of a story before we started recording here about um showing up to the field and everybody was there and um you know kind of folding right into it so how'd you get going with Brookfield sure uh graduated Brookfield Central uh 1990 got a phone call that summer from the head coach of the Brookfield um, it was at the time called Brookfield 2. There were still two teams in Brookfield. It was the Brookfield Lakers, who have been around since 1922. And then, of course, Brookfield 2, who at the time was being coached by Doc Colopy. He gave me a phone call, asked me to come play, and I was super excited because we all knew that that was kind of like the major leagues back then. If you you know if you weren't really going to make the major leagues, it was your chance to continue on with your career playing baseball. So I got that phone call, and that's how I got my original interest just in playing Land Lakes baseball. Um, finished up college. Um, four years later, came back, started up playing again um, with the Brookfield Lakers, which quickly became the Brookfield Bulldogs. They kind of had a change of ownership there. And uh, played under a good, a good friend of mine, um, who I won't name, but uh, things just weren't really working out for him. So I show up to the ballpark one day, and the entire team was sitting there waiting in the parking lot. And I'm like, well, this is kind of odd. I could have sworn that we were supposed to be here at 11 a.m., usually typically one of the first guys there. And uh, the team had obviously had a meeting with the director at the time, uh, Walter O'Malley. And I came in and I went, what's going on? And the guys had all uh, stepped together and Wally stepped forward and said, well, we had a conversation and we decided to move on in a different direction and uh, talk, had the, invited the guys here early to, to see what they think about bringing you on as head coach. And, and the guys all, you know, of course, started slapping me on the head. And I said, well, I guess I'm taking the job. So uh, that's pretty much how I, I didn't leave you much of a much, choice. Yeah, it's pretty much how I ended up uh, becoming the head coach of the Brookfield Bulldogs. Goodness, I think back in uh, the year 2000. Yeah, so you've been doing that for quite some time now. So the and teams in the 
teams in the Land Lakes, this is this seems different than what we have over here in the St. Croix Valley and the WBA. Um, it, it seems like teams in the Land Lakes are pretty organized because you talked about somebody had a title of director and. So is there for you guys with the Bulldogs? Is there somewhat of a is there somewhat of a board involved, and is that kind of typical over there, or do I just happen to have talked to a couple people that have have pretty organized organizations? No, you know I'm the head. I mean, we've always been a very structured, organized um, baseball league, Land Lakes. But I will say, um, I know that I listened to your podcast with Craig Larson a few weeks ago. Uh, he's the executive director of the Land Lakes Baseball League. He's done a phenomenal job of even infusing more structure and organization into the league, kind of getting more people involved. It's been great. I mean, we have boards under boards under boards. I mean, talking about keeping this league thriving, um, each team is, you know, has multiple directors. I believe we're up to five directors each now for each team. And some of those even actually involve current players. It's kind of a great way to keep the players that are uh, currently playing involved in growing the team and then someday moving on and becoming, you know, in the upper echelon of the directorship of each team. So, yeah, it's pretty good structure. Um, we had coaches and assistant coaches all the way down, and, you know, some teams even incorporate captains. So it's, it's, uh, it's yeah. a really strong baseball league. Well, it seems like a good way to um... – to spread out the leadership. I know I look at, and I think over here we've tried, I know Chris LeBush when a couple different years has said, hey, you need to all put at least two people on the contact list and try to at least have two people involved at a leadership level. But is that, um, when you talk about five directors per team, is that, uh, there are no black and white rules anywhere, but is that kind of one of the league rules? Like the teams have to have five people listed as a director? It is. Actually, that wasn't something that was enforced a few years ago, but I believe yeah. that uh, everyone everyone agreed with Craig that it was a way to keep people involved. So, yeah, it's it's enforced now. Each team is uh, required to have five directors, and um, those people all have to, you know, right now we're on Zoom calls, but uh, most of those directors are, are calling in. They can have excused absences, but um, everyone's pretty much staying in tune with what's going on with rules and regulations, you know, and all the way down to umpires, and everyone's very involved. So, Yeah, well, it seems like it just would really, really helps for sustainability of teams because you hear those stories where, you know, it's the one guy who ran it forever and then they, you know, had kids or they, or for whatever reason, they stopped, stopped being able to play or manage or whatever, and then the team folds, right, because there's no structured leadership in place to carry that forward. So it's an interesting Interesting thought. We're gonna, I'm going to bring that one back home and see next time we have our own Zoom meeting, we'll be talking about that. That's a good. You sure nail, you nail it. Yeah, you nail it on the head there, though, Josh. There are, you know, proud programs like the Landon Stoneman, who, you know, the Kozlowski family had run that forever, and eventually they get to be a point where the, the guys grow old and they move on, and then Landon, we find them folding. So that's one of the things here is, you know, we're trying to infuse young talent into these organizations and keep interest going so we don't have that. I mean, times have changed. Let's face it, you got your iPhones and your iPads and kids wanting to spend more time in the lake during the summer. So I think it's just having more people involved and kind of spreading that down through the system keeps those teams thriving. Well, and it allows you to get away too. You know, I can think of guys who have wanted to wanted to step, step away a little bit and try to and then just didn't, you know, and um, – I guess I look at my own situation this summer. My my son is starting traveling baseball, and 
you know, my daughter hopefully will be doing traveling soccer if they run that. And, you know, every Saturday and Sunday at the ballpark is just not a possibility for me. Um, we haven't built a, an official um, leadership board that, that the, our league would look at, but we do have a group of five guys that we've built our own little leadership crew that I would trust every single one of them to be there on a day that I'm not there. So, um, yeah, that's just a good recommendation for everybody. So even if your league isn't, isn't uh, you know enforcing a rule or isn't hasn't hasn't talked about that, just as a as a manager, it's a good thing to create your own little leadership board. So um, let's talk more about the the Bulldogs. So you the Bulldogs have been a pretty successful team, but you guys have you guys have quite the speed of like Brookfield is. Give us a geography lesson. Um, where is Brookfield for people that don't know, especially folks living in Minnesota? Um, and then talk a little bit about the feeder system that you guys have, because it seems like you have a pretty big one going there. Sure. So uh, Brookfield, the city of Brookfield is about 10 to 12 miles to east of the city of Milwaukee. So we're fortunate to have the entire Milwaukee metropolitan area to recruit from, as do all the other teams in uh, the Land Lakes Baseball League. So we're fortunate that way. But the Brookfield, uh, the city of Brookfield feeder system basically feeds out of three high schools. It's Brookfield Central the Brookfield Central Lancers, the Brookfield East Spartans, and Brookfield Academy, which is a private school. So we're kind of blessed in that term, in that regard. Uh, over the years, we've kind of fallen away a little bit of recruiting those players just because we've been so spoiled with the talent that we have had, but we've gotten back to now getting back into, like, let's just say, for instance, the Junior Lancer program, trying to tap those guys and getting into the coaches a little bit here um, more on a regular basis. And getting out to their games and talking to the kids afterwards and letting them, them know what Land Lakes baseball is because, let's be honest, a lot of the kids don't know that we exist. So right now it's pretty much just um, making sure we can tap on those feeder systems. Yeah. And there's a there's a couple teams in Brookfield, right, as well. Um, you know, okay, that's a – I wanted to ask you about that, but now what you what you talked about just triggered something for me. So the the – Kids, kids not knowing that town baseball exists is totally a theme that we have seen in different places throughout the, um, you know, throughout these podcasts, I guess, this winter. Uh, do you guys, what kind of media coverage do you guys have in Brookfield? Is there a small paper in Brookfield? Is there, like, how do people in town get uh, Bulldog scores and stats, so to speak? Because sometimes I think that's a big piece of just letting people know that you're out there. Yeah, so we're actually able to fortunately tap two newspapers here in the area. The, Brookfield, the city of Brookfield has what is now called the Brookfield Now. So they do a great job of covering sports. They actually have people who come out and still cover Land O'Lakes baseball. And then we have the Waukesha Freeman, which is a bigger metropolitan newspaper that covers most of Waukesha County, which encompasses yeah. Brookfield. And they also have their own dedicated reporter and Craig Larson does a great job of getting them, you know, box scores and game summaries and whatnot. But they actually call the coaches and, and do a great job of interviewing. So I think the younger kids can see those things in the sports pages or even on the online versions, which you can mm-hmm. um, kind of connect into. So, yeah, we're lucky that way to, to still have some coverage. But there's still a lot of kids out there, just the youngsters who don't really, you know, they have other things going on in their lives um, with technology the way we have it. So. During the summers, we try to, you know, we do outreach programs with some of the, the camps that we run and try to stay involved with the kids that way just to kind of spread the news that there is an outlet once they get done with, you know, middle school through high school baseball that they have mm-hmm. a way to keep playing baseball throughout their lives. Yeah, try to get those hats and those T-shirts on those elementary kids and, um, 
yeah, it is it, high school kids. It is it is amazing that as much media coverage as you can get and and all of that kind of stuff, they still don't really know what it is. But that speaks more to like what it is to be a high school kid, I think, than anything we're doing here. I mean, just think of go go back to like the Breakfast Club and Spicoli. Like that's the guy we're talking yeah. about. Spicoli just doesn't know what, what's going right. on, and that's okay. It's normal brain development. Um, you know, I asked about the newspaper thing because that's been that's been something that has been on my mind over here because they've done they're continually doing a bunch of mergers with our small town papers here, kind of east of the Twin Cities metro. So we had the Hudson Hudson. You know, in our our small little group, we had a paper in Hudson, the Star Observer, and then we had a, the River Falls Journal and the New Richmond News. So just take those two for example. Those consolidated um, a couple different times over the years. So now there's just one paper called the Star Observer. So um, our good friend has become a good friend, but longtime reporter down here, Bob Burroughs, he's the guy that stayed on because he's such a great writer. Bob could be writing for ESPN if he wanted to. Like he's that site. He's just that good um, at taking pictures and writing. So anyways, uh, he has had to take on that responsibility now of not only covering a ton more different high school sports, but trying to, it'll be in the summers, trying to cover all of the amateur teams. So the coverage just isn't quite the same as when you had a dedicated guy in each community that was doing exactly what you're saying of, of coming to the games and, and Colin, Colin talking to the coaches, writing up a preseason article. Now that falls all on Bob's shoulders. So then, I think we saw, I think there was something in the paper the other day that that paper even now was bought out by somebody from somebody somewhere. You know, it's all stuff I don't understand, venture capitalism and newspaper business and things I'm not, I don't know. I'm just a assistant middle school principal, right? So I don't claim to understand that angle of all of it. But, but uh, the the kind of the, the death, so to speak, of the small town newspaper is just something that that concerns me for amateur baseball because it's been such a lifeline of what we do. Hey, baseball fans, we're about halfway through the conversation here, so it's time to take a quick break and thank our podcast sponsors. That includes my friends at Aspen Creek Publishing, who helped me publish my own book about town baseball, Beyond the Fence, a fun novel about town ball life based on lies and half-truths from my time around the game. You'll find it on Amazon.com or our website at BaseballCommute.com. You won't find it on Audible, though, because, frankly, I just don't have the patience to read a whole book out loud. The last half of this episode is brought to you by Meat Raffles. People love winning things, and people love meat, so nothing pays for a couple of boxes of baseballs like a good old meat raffle. Hey, speaking of ways to meet people, if you're interested in advertising here on the pod, just hit us up at BaseballCommute.com. Com. All right, let's get back to the show. Sure, and I will say, you know, you were so right. I mean, really, it's like finding a finding a diamond in the rough, right? I mean, you have a reporter that's been around forever covering small-town baseball, gets to know not only all the guys at the Brookfield Bulldogs and the Brookfield Blue Sox, but also gets to know all the players in the league who have been around a while. And when a guy like that moves on, which we had happened maybe 10, 12 years ago, we had a guy move on from the Brookfield now newspaper. It was really a tremendous loss because now you have a new guy coming in who might not necessarily even be interested in covering Land O'Lakes baseball, 
and who doesn't mm-hmm. know the rich the rich background of our league. So, yeah, it really is a valuable thing, and find them, finding somebody that actually wants to be invested in that and give their time and talent to the to the community baseball is is really a valuable thing. Yeah, and it's it's really no not too much different than than what we do. What some of those small town sports writers do, they see that part of like promoting this stuff is good mm-hmm. for the community, right? So that and that was a big exactly. that's a big piece that Bob has always talked about. And and you're right, when you get a new guy, you you also have to be careful because what Bob and I had a have a good good relationship. So I know with him, I can just speak whatever's on my mind, and I can trust him not to make me sound like a complete idiot. Uh, when he puts in the paper. So so there was one time last summer where he um, had to send out, you know, an intern kid came out. Uh, I think Bob was on vacation. And and I and I gave him a, a, a quote, and I wasn't trying to be any, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't as careful as I should have been. And I wish I could remember what it was. But I remember reading it, and it was just a verbatim exact word for word. And I sounded like a moron because it had, oh, I think no. it even had the ums in it and the uh, and the, I was like, what, what is going on right now? So <laughs> I should have just typed this up and sent this to this guy, you know? So yeah, I'll provide you a written statement next time. Yeah. Right. So there's another piece, little, little piece of advice for everybody. So you guys um, got a full summer last summer in the, in our COVID year. But I see you guys won the grand. Grand Champions is that what it's called? Like you guys won the league last year? Yeah, we were so yeah we were so incredibly fortunate to get the entire season in. I want to say Craig and all the managers and players did such a fantastic job of uh, just making sure that we took the necessary precautions. There were a few games that had to be moved around, but had a very very successful season um, once again. Uh, won the Grand Championship over a very very talented Sussex team who's just been waiting to break down that door again and, and um, come and come home and get to another championship. But it's just really crazy how much talent we have in this league. You know, Division One ball players spread all throughout. Uh, the West Bend 7-Up obviously have been a fantastic organization, but certainly a great year. But I think more than anything, the guys obviously love winning the championship, but just the ability to get some normalcy, normalcy back in our lives again this summer was great because it was an outlet that everyone was able to do, and even the fans come out to the ballpark and just have some sort of sort of normalcy in 2020. Yeah. Did you guys um, end up? I know one of the things that we we had last year there were there were so many places and programs when you talk about Division One ball players spread around. We you know we had guys kind of coming out of the woodwork to play last year. I think the quick quick story I can tell is that we even had um, there's a kid from from RF. We have a been lucky to have a few kids um, who 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 came out of high school and actually played a little bit with us going to pro ball, um, and one of them is named Alex Cole, and Alex is in Double A with, been traded a few times I think in the Indians organization now, so Alex even called midway through the summer because they got a green light from the organization to go ahead and play amateur baseball if they wanted to play, so we could have had a chance to have Al play. Um, the second half of the summer, but we've got some, there's some rules in the WBA against uh, professional ball players under contract playing. So we ultimately couldn't do it. It would have been really fun because he's such a nice guy. Um, but again, then, you know, you create a whole another situation where guys who are playing then have to sit. So this is what I, this is what I've been curious with teams. If they dealt with this, cause we did a little last summer of guys coming out of the woodwork to play, 
because whatever their other gig was kind of fell apart. And I don't mean this negatively, but whatever their other gig was fell apart, even if it's professional baseball with the Indians, um, and then want to play town ball. So you've got all your guys who played the year before, but then you had all these other guys who were kind of knocking on the door during the COVID year. Did you guys experience that at all, or was that unique to us? No, yeah, no, we definitely experienced that, and as did a bunch of teams um, had you know people knocking at the door that typically you wouldn't have had otherwise. I mean, we had a kid who was playing pro ball up in Canada. Well, they got shut down, so Parker Smyatinsky, who had played with the St. Louis Billikens, um, came knocking back to play with us again because he had nowhere to play. Um, found a job back here um, working until Canadian baseball opened up again. Never ended up opening up, ended up being the, uh, the player of the year in, the, in our division, and we were extremely blessed to have him. Had a guy, Dakota Metoxin, who was playing with the Memphis Tigers, was supposed to go and play, uh, you know, low-level pro ball. Never got drafted, but ended up finding an outlet to come and play ball with us. Um, just, you know, lower 90s fastball type guy who we were blessed to have. And then there were a couple of UWM guys that we ended up having that were going to go play Northwoods ball, but that was kind of falling apart early. And, um we're blessed to have Nate the young come and a young kid just came in with power and kids that we would typically wouldn't have had. I don't think in our league, they would have been playing elsewhere. Um, but I think that we saw that across Land Lakes in general as a whole, we had, it was just, it was an incredible year. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think we're going to look back on that year as, as really interesting that way, because it, I didn't feel like it was, a huge, a huge jump in talent, but there were just enough of guys like that who were around. I know um, the Washburn kids played up in Spooner who um, I want to say one of them, I'm going to screw this up so somebody can correct this online for me, but I think one of them is, is out at Oregon state. Um, the other one is somewhere else that is like on par with that. I think um, now I do sound like an idiot, just like that reporter pointed out. <laughs> so, but, uh, is that, is that Washburn? Yeah. That Washburn family? Is that the long lineage of Washburn ball players? That is. Yep. That's, that's, that's uh, Jared Washburn. Yep. Yeah. That's Jared Washburn. Yeah. So those kids played in the, in the WBA this year. And you're right. I think they probably would have been playing in a, in, in a higher develop, or I would say a higher league, but a developmental league, you know, higher league. Right. Where I think we're okay to say that. Um, yep. not as many guys pass their prime, like, like us, older guys. So the, um, but I, you know, I think, uh, I, so I think we'll look back and, and just go, Hey, that was kind of a cool year. So that, you know, that piece about, about Alex, it was unfortunate that there was that, um, there was that rule just because it would have been really cool to, to have played with him again during the summer, a little bit as a teammate is, you know, again, just, and guys who are, who are good people too, you know, and I, what was interesting about that for us, you know, we, before we, uh, before we got on the podcast, Jason, just to give a little backstory to our to our listeners, we you know we we always touch on stuff that has happened, and, and I would say we're just going to stay away from any drama. Like nobody needs to create any. The last thing I want to do is like, hey, tell me what's happened controversial in Brookfield, right? Like I'm just not. We're not that podcast. Go go on, um, I don't know, a major news network to get that one, but. Um, there, I will share there was a controversy when we didn't we didn't sign Alex right away this summer to play because somebody had heard that he was going to ask and then all they had heard was that he he couldn't play for the fish and because people outside of what we do don't 
know the rules and they're not even posted anywhere half the time. Like we had to have like a PR, a, a small PR campaign in town to be like, Hey, this is the rule. Here's what happened. Um, we would not just, cause it became like, well, they just don't want guys to lose their position on the field. So they're not going to take them like, <laughs> no, any one of us would gladly have sat down um, so that this guy could, could play center field for us. And, um, but it's just we had to have a little PR campaign, so it's kind of funny some of the some of the drama that can can surround something that is just supposed to be fun, you know. And it's re- and it's really kind of sad, isn't it, Josh? I mean, here you got a kid who should be playing somewhere better, obviously, that just mm-hmm. wants to play baseball, and then you have the parents yeah. of some of the teams coming in saying, "Well, wait a second, how are how are the Brookfield Bulldogs able to have this guy? They're they're already good enough, and he's obviously taking somebody's spot, and you've got to go through and." talk to the executive director of the league and Craig and say, like, obviously we're above board here and he's he's been given clearance by the organization and we've talked it over with the team. They're all okay with it. But now we've got to make it okay with the fans and the city. It's just pretty yeah. incredible when a kid just wants to play baseball. Yeah. You know, and we talk about that a lot with, with high school sports, right, and, and the stuff that guys who run high school programs have to, have to kind of manage and work with the political side and Dealing with folks' parents, and I, we don't. I don't know about you guys. At the amateur level, we don't. We certainly don't deal with it as much as those guys do, and that's why you see so many high school coaches getting burned right out of their sport. Um, but we do deal with it. You know, it's not a. It's it's not uncommon to have conversations with kids' parents or kind of inappropriate things that happen every couple years. Um, certainly not to the level of the high school coaches, but it it is it's around. It's around. So, anyways, happier. Let's get on to some happier topics. So, um, what is what are you excited about for for this summer? I mean, obviously, just some normalcy. But what's on the horizon for the Bulldogs this summer? Sure. Well, the team is getting ready to uh, start workouts again in the tail end of January, as we traditionally do. Um, certainly, uh, welcoming back most, if not all, of the guys. So they've, you know, really tight knit group. Just love to get together and shoot the, you know what, um, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, excited for baseball. I know that uh, our head coach, Jeff Miro, is back again. Um, it was fantastic. He's a guy who played back in the, the mid-'80s with the Brookfield Lakers. Um, I think that this year was probably his, oh, boy, I want to guess his sixth grand championship overall in Land Lakes baseball. I think maybe three or four as a player and then uh, two as a coach, his first as a as a head coach last year. So, the guys all really take to Jeff, and um, his, his son, Mike Miro, has been playing in the league now seven or eight years. He came out of Whitewater. So we've just got a really tight-knit group. We're, we're really super excited for getting back to playing some normal normal baseball in 2021. We are, Like I said before, we were fortunate to be able to, to get through last year. But we're hoping fans can come out, have more concession stands open this year. That was one of the big problems last year is not yeah. everyone had their concession stands open, and certainly that affects small-town community baseball. Um, so, yeah, we're just looking for a normal 2021 and getting back to meeting uh, all the guys that we take on in competition. We've built up some great friendships mm-hmm. with these guys in this league. Okay, so the one of the first things, there's two things I want to ask you about. So let's, let's don't let me forget, I want to ask you about drawing fans in Brookfield because you guys are really close to Milwaukee. So I want you to tell me about that in a minute. But then um, the first thing you mentioned was you were starting winter workouts. And now I always joke when people ask me if the Buddy Fish practice, and I say, yeah, every day. 
or no, we, you know, I don't, I don't even know what I joke. Actually, I think I just ignore it because we don't, we don't practice. We don't work out in the winter and I've never necessarily thought that was the right way, no right way or wrong way. We just don't do it. But tell me what you guys do. What do your winter workouts look like? Cause ours just used to be, we go to Johnny's and have a meat raffle. <laughs> that was our monthly <laughs> winter workout. So tell me about what do you guys do when you get together? We're trying to land the plane too on a winter meeting and we're having a hard time with that right now with, with COVID. I, I don't want to, I haven't had it yet that I know of. I don't want to get together with all, all our guys in the twenties necessarily and, and then get COVID and ruin my kids hockey season. Right. So anyways, tell exactly. me what are you guys doing to get together in the winter? What do you guys do for workouts? Yeah, so, we, I mean, obviously we do the fundraisers as well. We try to do, you know, at least one or two before the season starts up. But one of the things that I always tend to not necessarily preach, but kind of encourage our guys to work out early. I mean, the teams in this league, to keep up with how, how talented they are, I've just always kind of had the concept that you got to get into the to the stage, you know, and it's always better to come in completely ready to go than because a lot of the teams, let's be honest, they don't really see each other until it gets nice out and, finally are able to hit out, hit out on, the, on the diamond. But, uh, yeah, we get together. It's usually once a week, starting um, late January, early February. Um, just get into the cage. Pitchers pitch off to the side. Um, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a couple of facilities that we can tap here in the metro Milwaukee area. Um, but this is going to surprise you. I don't know if it's the same with you, Josh. You can kind of fill me in on how you guys do things. But once our first yeah. game starts, we don't practice at all during the regular season. It is literally game, games, and that's it. I think we might have one practice once the playoffs start. We might have a practice or two midweek, but once that season kicks off, we're done. We don't practice anymore. Yep, same here. We joked about it last year because we we practiced last year at the start only because we couldn't play, right? So, like, we would yep. get together once a week or a couple times a week, but, yeah, we don't. We don't practice either, and it, it is funny when you talk to people outside of it. They they kind of assume that that you practice like a high school team. And like, yeah, we we don't practice. We're probably we've been one of those teams that um, that we like you described. We, you know, we don't see too much of each other until we can get together and and start playing. And a lot of it though is just different different groups that you have. So I I take it you guys have a have a group that is able and willing and, and shows up when you guys get together in the winter. How many people, how many guys off your team typically make it to a winter workout? Well, interesting, interestingly enough, last year, I would say, is one of our most attended, which during these COVID times was kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. I think guys were looking, just looking for an outlet to do something different yep. and be able to get out of the house. Um, typically in years past, you know, we've maybe had seven or eight guys show up, but last year, we were probably in the mid-teens through all of our workouts up yeah. until the season started. Um, and that included a lot of the guys that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Um, yeah. Seven or eight is pretty good. I mean, yeah, so totally cool when you're out, right? But seven or eight is, is pretty good. That's a pretty great culture you guys have been building. Um, okay, the other question I wanted to ask you was, was drawing fans in Brookfield? Because you said you're 10 or 12 miles just west of Milwaukee, right? Um, and, you know, conventional wisdom might say that you're a little too close to to Milwaukee to draw crowds, but what does it look like in Brookfield? I have to be honest with you, we don't really draw tremendously well in Brookfield, which would be kind of surprising, but fitting right into this podcast, Ian, um, 
it's your Montana teams. It's your Mertens, your North Lakes. Well, North Lakes mm-hmm. not in the league, unfortunately, anymore. But it's the smaller towns out here, you know, Pewaukee, Sussex. Those are the teams that really, really draw, you know, into the hundreds and hundreds of fans. Whereas typically in Brookfield, we'd be lucky on a Saturday or Sunday to have, you know, a hundred, maybe a hundred mm-hmm. people out of our, out our games, which still is a pretty good number. But uh, we don't draw nearly as well out, out further west in the smaller communities because really it is kind of a kind of a rite of passage. It's what people do on their weekends. They like to go out to small town baseballs. And I'll tell you, some of these communities like Manchez, Sussex, their concession stands. You know, you have the walk-in, the walk-in coolers. You have the the separate areas mm-hmm. for all the big tractors that they have to do to work up their fields. It's uh yeah. I, I'll just say that we're blessed to be able to have what we're out what we have out here in, in southeastern Wisconsin. Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's I think a lot of it is just geography. I look at up here, um, it's geography and then relation to pro sports too. And so I I live technically in Hudson. I've got a Hudson address. So Hudson River Falls are less than ten miles apart, and mm-hmm. River Falls is just ten more miles from the Twin Cities metro. You got to get off ninety four and go ten minutes south to get to RF. And in RF we can draw great crowds in Hudson, and part of it's facilities. But we were we were able to cobble some stuff together at the high school and, you know, drawing 100, 150 people. And in Hudson, um, you know, Frenchie and those guys up there just, just haven't. And part of it is when I think when you're in Hudson, it's pretty easy to get into St. Paul, easier to get into St. Paul in Minneapolis. It's just like that extra 10 minutes that those folks, when they think about going to a baseball game, it's pretty easy to just say, oh, let's just hop in the car and go see the Saints or go see the Twins. Um, so sometimes I wonder if, if that stuff didn't exist in Milwaukee, if uh, you know some of the some more people would come out to the to the Bulldogs games, I don't know. You know, it's it's just a it's a different different mindset and different reality when you're when you're closer to a large metro area. Yeah, and certainly with how many teams we have out here, you know, we're all competing for the same dollars with fundraising, which can be touchy and you know it can be an issue mm-hmm. at times. Um, guys going to the same bars for sponsorships, and obviously that slowed down with 2020 being a lot of businesses being shut down. But I just think uh, overall, I, I just the, like Craig Larson does. Let me just go back to Craig. I don't want to toot his here too much, but he yeah, does a great job of. We're we're actually starting to do fundraisers now as a league, and what we do is kind of like a profit sharing thing. So we go out and we'll have like a big bowling outing or a golf outing, and we'll actually all start splitting those profits, which really helps continue the, these these organizations to thrive. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. A lot goes into it, but it's all worth the effort. Um, this this is a really tight-knit um, community with these, these baseball players. We've all got great relationships, and I'd say we are actually stronger now than we were back in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, a league-wide golf outing is, is sounds so simple, but it seems so genius because we have done golf outings, and some years it ends up just being our guys anyway. And uh, I, 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 had, I had a good time running the first one, maybe the second one, but then after that, you just get tired of putting it together. But what if your whole league just put it together? So, like, one guy, you know, if you, I think about us, we probably have seven different teams that run their own golf fundraisers. And why wouldn't we just combine efforts and have one really fun day? Like that makes a lot, heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm just thinking now I'm, I'm going to be going into my 30th year this year in, mm-hmm. in Lakes Ball. And yeah. 
over like like you said, over time it just gets to be draining because so much is just relying on you bringing in everything for your team. And now that we have these fundraisers where we can do a golf outing or a bowling outing, or I know Craig's got some really really super fun things on tap for the spring. It, it gets to be a lot less stressful when you can have all the managers and all the directors kicking in to go help set up that event. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Craig, you know, that was, it was, he, I, I think it's fine to toot his horn because he seems like he's got some really good ideas. I had a really fun time with that conversation. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I think Craig and I probably talked about, I've talked with Jim Ziggler about the last topic, Jason, before I, before I head in and, um, get to work. We're, we're finishing cookies today. Stick with the Christmas theme. Oh, nice. Beginning, so, yeah, yeah. I, uh, got to get, but I, I was sent out, part of my errands was sent out to get the, uh, get the last ingredients. And I have not had a home yet, so, so I'm hiding in the neighborhood, so I better get moving. So last topic, um, we, I'd be remiss without asking after, I saw kind of the stuff that you guys have, have, have won and, and the Bulldogs have been good. And, and one of the things, one of the things I noticed was in 2011, when, um, when I saw kind of a little resume of the Bulldogs, it says 2011 grand champions of Land Lakes and number one in state. Well, Jason, when I saw that, I was like, you know what? We were number <laughs> one in state that year. Cause we've talked at length on this podcast about, um, you know, winning, winning the league. And that was the first year. We, that was the year we won the WBA and we thought we could beat every, anybody that picked up all, baseball so i would love to take on the bulldogs in 2011 especially now that i saw you write that and send it right to me right to my face that in 2011 <laughs> you guys were number one but i remember that i forgot about that and that was from the diamonds from jack's uh rankings so um have you guys ever have you thought about that talked about that about what it would be like to win the land of lakes but then keep playing afterwards and and play off against the rest of the state yeah, I'll tell you what, Josh. I wish we had another 30 minutes to talk. I, I heard your your podcast with Craig. I heard you guys talking about wouldn't it be fantastic if we had a, a statewide tournament someday. And I'll tell you what, the Brookfield Bulldogs would be all over that. And you're exactly right. That that ranking did come from the Jack of Diamonds. Um, I think that he was more super involved back then. I think if you were to go back to his, his website, he's got all that stuff still on the historical rankings are still on there. Um but, yeah, it, it was always kind of like an honor to see that ranking because, obviously, yeah. we knew there were people out there that thought, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? The Verona Cavaliers are, or were number one in the state that year, not the Brookfield Bulldogs, or like you said yourself. <laughs> How great would yeah. it be, you know, if we had enough players that were able to not go back to college or not have something else where they couldn't invest their time as much to, to, to come together and have league champions all play for the right to be that official number one in the state? Yeah. And just I know we'd certainly be interested. Yeah, and and just be able to celebrate, and it really it's just a celebration of of town baseball at the end. So so yeah, we can joke about like settling the score in 2011, but in the end, it it doesn't really matter. It just would have been fun to play, right? So on the on the playing aspect, it's not to me. It's not even about um, you know, the chance to to win the overall state championship or whatever. I mean, that would be a nice feather in the cap, but no one outside of what we do cares about that, right? Like, you can't you can't put it on your resume for work at most jobs and have anyone care. <laughs> but 
but we would care, you know, but, um, so, so anyways, but it would, so the playing part I think is, would be cool just to see those teams play off. It'd be a really good tournament, you know, it'd be fun. Yeah. Fun like, baseball like to watch you, is what it would be. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, there wasn't a team that could beat us in the state that year. That was the mindset. It was the same thing for you. So how great would it be to play into deep September, early October, keep playing baseball? Because let's be honest, when you win that, when you win that championship, all you want to do is keep playing and you want to play better yeah. competition. So, yeah, I think that, I think the argument that I have heard about like, well, by the time the, I've heard this one, I'll just speak in our, from an I statement here from our league effort over the years, of the WBA, as people have broached the subject, the argument goes, well, our players are, they're pretty dumb by that time of year. They're ready to do something else. And I'm like, are you guys nuts? Like, every, almost everybody can. We're only talking about 20 guys who, who are going to go play another weekend, right? And those 20 guys would jump at the chance. So, yeah, I don't I don't buy that whole idea. And, and I think most college coaches, even if, if guys were supposed to report that they, they had to go play in the Wisconsin State Championships for a weekend, most guys would, I think most coaches would probably let their guys go. You know, I'm not. And I'm not going to get anybody into trouble here, but we have had that. We've had a couple mm-hmm. of Division One programs who have found out that we were playing in the championship when those guys were supposed to be reporting back and, and said, "You know what? What the heck? Just don't get yeah. them hurt. Let them go. Let them go play. We know how much it means to them." Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I just got a text from my wife, Jason, that said, "Is everything okay?" <laughs> because she she sees me sitting in the car. And she, She's walking the dog. I think I could see her way down the street. So um, I better uh, – that's code for, hey, get those ingredients in fact, probably. And she's 100% right. So thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, best of luck to the, to the Bulldogs this summer. Yeah, thanks so much, Josh. It was it was an honor being on. And just let me say Merry Christmas to you and your family and all of South Town baseball out there, uh, the Land and Lakes community listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to you guys. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll hope to see you down the road, Josh. Yeah, you too, Jason. Thanks. Best of luck with the with the last couple of days of the Elf on the Shelf as well. Yeah, thank you. All right, have a good one. Take care. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Small Town Commute. If you liked what you heard, do us a favor and share the podcast with fellow ball players. You can send them to our website at baseballcommute.com. I'm always looking for guests and great conversations, so if you've got a suggestion or you just want to call and talk baseball, shoot us a line at baseballcommute at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for what you do for amateur baseball, wherever that might be.